You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Episode 543 of the podcast. It is Speak America, the Antoine Sports Podcast. It is Friday, June 10th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody realizes the mid-June miracle that is amongst us. They say uh, the holiday season is the time for miracles. No, mid-June is because as of 24 hours ago, your boy had zero voice. But thanks to the power of a good night's sleep, thanks to the power of a cold Gatorade or two, and they're not even a sponsor, but they came through clutch, I think I got enough of a voice to do a show. Here's the other thing. There's some stuff I want to talk about. So welcome into a Friday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to open with this crazy, or we're going to hit some, on, on some stuff I should mention. We're going to hit on some stuff that I wouldn't normally talk about on this show. Mostly talk college football, college basketball, a little NFL. So we're going to talk about this crazy Draymond Green versus Boston story. Where all of a sudden Boston people are the worst people in the world because they swore at Draymond Green. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to defend fans. They are allowed to say what they want. Draymond Green needs to stop being so soft. The Warriors need to stop being soft. We'll discuss that. Then we'll get to this live golf story, okay? I think the first time I've ever talked golf that has nothing to do with Tiger Woods. This story is fascinating to me. I think it's one of the most interesting things that I can ever remember in sports. So we're going to talk about that. And then we'll get to a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron is wrong. It's been about three weeks since we have done Aaron right, Aaron wrong. I owed you a third episode this week. We are going to have a great one. I think the show will be a little bit quicker than the normal Friday show, the normal whatever show. I don't think we're doing an hour and 10 today. I think we might do 40. I think we might do 38. But we are going to have a good time. The voice is back. It's time to party like it's 1997. I don't even know what it means. I'm off my rocker already. So with that said... Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is this, okay? Topic of the day is that very often I get asked, not very often, but every once in a while, one of you will hit me up. Torres, how come you don't talk more NBA? Torres, what about the finals? Torres, what about the semifinals? What I can definitively tell you is this. Whenever I talk NBA on this show, the numbers go down. For whatever reason, you guys and girls just aren't that interested in the NBA. Now, I would say... Fewer, it seems like every year fewer people are because the ratings keep going down in these NBA finals. But I don't talk NBA because every time I talk NBA, you guys tune me out. 
And I always tell you, I don't pick the topics for this show. You guys and girls pick the topics for the show. And so I very rarely talk NBA because it doesn't seem as though you guys and girls are interested. But on Wednesday night, Game 3 of the NBA Finals, something interesting happened that I felt like I had to talk about. And so let's get into it. Because I think we all either watched the game or heard about the game or whatever. But one thing you notice right away, the series was in Golden State for Game 1 and Game 2. And then in Game 3, the series shifts to Boston. We all know Boston is an incredible sports town. I grew up in the Northeast. Um, You know, I've been to games at Fenway Park, the new Boston Garden. I've never been to Gillette Stadium, believe it or not. Boston is a very intense sports town. And the second you turn on that game, you could feel the tension. You could feel that the game, I don't want to say it felt bigger. I don't want to offend our Bay Area listeners, but maybe more intense. And as the game goes on, you hear all sorts of stuff. and, And out of the background, you do happen to hear a very loud chant directed towards Draymond Green. Draymond Green, NBA All-Star, future Hall of Famer, podcaster that won't stop talking about his podcast. He actually sounds like me, so I can't be mad at him for saying that. But in the middle of the game, you start to hear these F.U. Draymond Green chants. F.U. Draymond, bump, 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 bump. F.U. Draymond, bump, 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 bump. And I heard him, and I was like, that's Boston being Boston. Welcome to Boston. NBA Finals are here. Magic dealt with it at one point in the finals. Jordan dealt with it in the Eastern Conference finals. Kobe dealt with it in the finals. Welcome to Boston, Golden State Warriors. And I think much else of it. Then the game ends. They go to the podium. And the first thing out of I I hear is complaints about how rude the Boston fans were. Here is what Clay Thompson had to say after the game. We've played in front of rude people before. Dropping F-bombs with children in the crowd... Really classy. Good job, Boston. And I was like, well, that's kind of soft by Clay Thompson. And then, I guess it was, I don't know if it was late Wednesday or early Thursday, Draymond Green's own wife, who I believe was in the stands, had this to say via Instagram. Tough loss tonight, but in no way, shape, or form should fans be allowed to chant obscenities at players. Are they not human? Is someone standing at your job saying off-the-wall things to you? The NBA has the audacity to have the whole code of conduct at every seat about fans and their behavior, blah, 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 on and on and on and on and on. Clay Thompson complains about it. Steve Kerr complained about it. Draymond Green's wife complains about it. But I figured, that okay, that's just opposing players in a hostile arena, opposing family members in a hostile arena. Then I turned on TV on Thursday morning And every show was talking about it. And every media member that I saw was like, well, you know, Boston fans crossed the line. Boston fans are so inappropriate. Typical Boston fans. To which I say, shut up, media. Stop being so soft. Get over yourselves. Okay? And I think this is probably part of of the reason why I think you guys and girls like this show is I always keep it 100% real. I am one of you. I am a fan. I go to games. I pay for my own seats. Okay? Yes, I get a credential here and there to cover a certain thing. But I, if I didn't do this for a living, I would be in the stands with you paying for seats, and I do often pay for my own seats. And I get both sides of it. Do I wish that, that they didn't chant this stuff? I mean, I don't really care, but I don't think it's like even remotely controversial at all. Now, let me say this before we get too deep into this, because one thing I will say is, I have talked about this topic before, kind of the relationship between fans and players, and I do think there is a line to cross. We talked about it last year when Kyrie Irving got a bottle thrown at him in Boston. Said he can't throw bottles on the floor. 
because that empty water bottle didn't hurt Kyrie. But what if it's full? What if it's a beer bottle? What if it's glass? There's a, you can't throw things onto the court of play. We also actually just talked about this a few weeks ago because, as you might remember, I was at that Dave Chappelle show, comedy show, when the, the person rushed the stage. It was scary. It was surreal. Um, and obviously, it opened my eyes to the danger that these people are in. And obviously, um, you know, one, it's on security to make sure there's no weapons in the facility. But you can't touch a player. You can't touch a family member. We had the incident with Chris Paul a few weeks ago where he thought his family was getting not only verbally harassed but physically touched. That's obviously ridiculous and unacceptable. But words, words, sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt us. Have you not heard that? And so let's get into it. Because first of all, like I said, I, I have a few different thoughts on this. One, I think part of it might just be that, as I just said, I'm a fan like you guys and girls, okay? And I know how fans get. Fan is short for fanatic. And there are fans in every stadium, in every arena, in every state, in every, frankly, every country that act like this, Okay. It reminds me of back in the fall when the Tennessee uh, football fans threw stuff on the field because of the cra- in that crazy Lane Kiffin game. And I was like, there are 103,000 people at Neyland Stadium. We had maybe 100 throw stuff on the field, but we're going to generalize and stereotype every single fan in the stands? What's wrong with you? You just generalized 103,000 Tennessee fans Uh, The entire state of Tennessee, all the school's alumni, anyone who's ever been affiliated with the University of Tennessee, because 10, 12 people, 10, 10, 12, but 100, 200, 300 people out of 103,000 acted like idiots? Give me a break. Give me a break. And maybe that's part of me just being a sports fan is I can't get worked up about it, right? I've been to major college football games where I heard way worse than F.U. Draymond. I've been to major college basketball games where that stuff gets shouted all the time. That is part of being an athlete. That is part of the responsibility that comes with being an athlete. You go into road venues, it is going to be hostile if you're anybody important playing anything important. If you're an NFL player, if you're an NBA player, if you are a major college football player, if you're a major college basketball player, that's just part of the deal. That is how fans act. They are irrational. That's why fan is short for fanatic. Heck, I said it on Twitter the other day. I get stuff in my DMs worse every single day than what Draymond got. And if his wife if his wife is bothered by someone saying, F you, Draymond, I, I welcome you to come read my DMs. I'm not going to do it here because some of you probably got kids in the car. But give me a break with this. Oh, my goodness. How can they possibly blah, 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 blah. Two, I do find it especially interesting that it's Draymond Green, right? Draymond Green has made a career out of being basically a jerk. Like, that is how Draymond Green got to where he is. Now, he's really good at it. But he's a, a pest. He's an annoyance. Listen, he ain't in the NBA for his skill. Because if you look at that stat sheet, that stat sheet, is, you know, it ain't pretty for Draymond Green right now. I, I've grown to like Draymond. But this is what he is doing. Uh, let's take a look in these NBA finals. He's averaging five points. He's averaging six and a half rebounds. He's averaging five personal fouls per game. He's shooting 36% from the field, 0% from three. 24% from the free throw line. Draymond Green is not in there because he is the third splash brother. Draymond Green is in there because he's a pest and he's an annoyance. More importantly, he's inappropriate. He's just like an inappropriate person, which I have no problem with because I can be an inappropriate person. But have you ever seen him in a game? Have you ever seen him on the sidelines? 
He's yelling at his own teammates, swearing at his own teammates, swearing at the opposing team, swearing at the fans, giving the fans the middle finger, screaming at the refs at the top of his lungs five feet away. Five feet away, three feet away, two feet away, six inches away. But that's the guy that you can't swear. So Draymond Green can literally swear at his own, his own teammates, which we know he does, ask Kevin Durant, opposing teammates, fans, and refs. But it is now like now the Boston fans are the worst people in the world because they decided to yell the exact same things that Draymond Green is yelling? Give me a break. By the way, I said the same thing last year with Kyrie. I didn't defend the fans for throwing bottles on the court. The court, But at the same time, Kyrie, we talked about this. Before the series, he came and he said the whole city of Boston is racist. I hate this place. That's paraphrasing, but you can look it up. You didn't think you were going to make one person mad. Then you stomp on the logo. Then you're surprised they're throwing stuff at you. Give me a break. By the way, this is, why I don't, this is, this is the whole J.J. Redick thing. I don't, I don't mean to bring, bring back in J.J. Redick, but somebody hit me up the other day. You won't stop talking about J.J. It's like I'm not, stop, not, it's not that I'm not going to stop talking about J.J. It's that when you call me a name and then I respond and you get mad by blocking me, like what are we even doing here? It's the same with Draymond. You swear at your teammates. You swear at the opposing team. You swear at the refs. You swear at the fans, but they can't swear back? Come on now. Finally, let me just say this. This is why I think a lot of us have never really gotten behind the Golden State Warriors. Now, I think there's a certain segment of the population. I think younger people, they like Steph. He's relatable. He's tiny. He's six foot three. We could all be Steph, right? I'll tell you a funny story. I was in Vegas this past weekend, bachelor party. Buddy is a Duke fan, okay? He said his favorite player growing up in the NBA was Michael Jordan, but his favorite college player was Bobby Hurley. Why? Because Bobby Hurley was a small, white point guard. And so he went in the backyard and he tried to be Bobby Hurley because he saw Bobby Hurley. What he saw in Bobby Hurley, he said, I can do that too. And so I think young people love Steph Curry because they're like, I might not be 6'9 like LeBron. I might not be 7 foot like Giannis. But I can be 6'3 and hit crazy threes from all different angles. So there's a certain segment of people that have always liked the Golden State Warriors. But I think there's a huge segment of the population that gets driven crazy by them because they're soft. Like they are a soft team, right? I've been saying this for like three, four years, maybe more. Five, uh, six years, because I remember talking about this with 2016 NBA Finals. I didn't even have a podcast at that point. I said they're America's first millennial team. You know what the criticism of millennials are? Don't work hard. Don't handle adversity well. Don't take criticism well. All that good stuff. Isn't that the Golden State Warriors? When things are going well, when they're hitting 34-foot fallaway threes, shooting threes and turning around before the shot even goes in. Oh, it's so cool, and we're just having a good time. And then somebody punches them back in the mouth, and they start freaking out. I still go back to that 2016 NBA Finals where they blew the lead against the Boston uh, against the Cle- Cleveland Cavaliers. First of all, Draymond thrown out of Game Five for kicking, you know, kick Game Six, I guess it was, for kicking someone. You know where? You don't need me to repeat it. But if you remember in that game, Clay Thompson actually, and maybe you don't remember, I'm the only one that remembered it. Clay Thompson actually walked off the court before the game was over. When it was clear Cleveland was going to win with about 8, 10, 12 seconds left, the game was still going on. Clay Thompson started walking in the locker room. That was a game that Steph Curry threw his mouth guard and hit a fan. They're soft. By the way, you know who else was like this? Remember Aisha Curry? It was like for like two years, it was like she'd be on her little Instagram, social media, whatever happy as can be. 
Then the second that they lost, every single time, there was always an incident. Oh, my God, they did this. They did that. They said this. They said that. And so this is why I think people can't get behind the Warriors. And so with the rest of these NBA finals, I don't know if I'm going to talk about them. I don't know if I'm talking about them on Monday's show. By the way, I got a lot of good stuff on today's show. I hope I got enough for Monday because we'll see what happens over the weekend. But it's like this is why people get tired of the Warriors. You, you, you don't win with like a ton of class, and then you lose and all you do is complain. So anyway, I'm, I'm on to live golf. I'm on to a couple other things. I don't know how much more voice I'm going to have left for this show, but I just say like I could not believe the reaction to all this on, on, on Thursday. Like people were really mad that Draymond Green, the guy that swears at literally everybody, I think when he goes to McDonald's to order a hamburger, get me that effing hamburger right effing now. But, that, but we're mad because Boston fans were doing it? Come on now. Give me a break. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. Going to drink some Gatorade. Going to come back. I do want to talk live golf. Like, is this the most interesting story? I think it's like the most interesting story on planet Earth. Live golf. This is the Saudi-backed golf league. You have players leaving the PGA Tour left and right. Just absolutely fascinating. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. Then we'll do where Aaron right was it where Aaron was wrong. Kind of a quick episode. We'll get out of here. I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, the NBA Finals are here. DraftKings Sportsbook, our good friends. Incredible offer for first-time users. And I, I know I say it's an incredible offer all the time. This one is unbelievable. First-time users, DraftKings Sportsbook, here's the deal. Bet $5 on either Golden State or Boston. Doesn't matter which one. Bet $5 money line bet. As soon as you make the bet, DraftKings give you, gives you $150 free bets guaranteed. Doesn't matter if the bet wins, loses. You bet $5. They give you $150 of guaranteed free bets. Again, it's the best offer going. Here's how you sign up. Click the link in the show description. And sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 bet on either team. And whether that team wins or not, it does not matter. You get an automatic $150 thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going in sports betting. So go ahead and act now. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 
Must be 21 plus or over to enter. 18 plus or over in Wyoming. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and talk about a sport that I, I, I frankly, I think I've talked about once on the Aaron Torres podcast, and that is golf, okay? So I think we talked golf one time pretty much when the show launched, uh, it was when Tiger Woods won the Masters. It was like this incredible sports moment. It was all everybody was talking about that week, and so I think I talked about it. I think I talked golf once on this show. But other than that, I haven't talked golf for obvious reasons. It's the same thing I just said about the NBA. I don't think you guys and girls on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis truly care about golf. And if you did, you could find somewhere better to consume it because I'm just not your guy. A lot of good guys and girls that cover golf, I'm just not one of them. But what I will say is, this live golf situation that's going on. I don't even know what to call it. Is it a tour? Is it an event? Is it an event schedule? But essentially, there are eight golf tournaments put on by this, this group called Live Golf. It is owned by a bunch of Saudi oil princes. Well, they have officially stolen about four, five, six super dynamic, big-name players off the PGA Tour the PGA Tour has said anybody that is affiliated with this uh, is not allowed to play in our events. I think the PGA Tour made a massive mistake. These events, the, the first event started on Thursday, and I think we officially have ourselves a little bit of a competitor for the PGA, and I think the PGA may have made a huge tactical mistake in how they handled this as several marquee players are playing on the Live Tour. And so let's get into it, let's talk about it, and let's discuss First of all, I think the first logical question that many of you are asking, Torres, why the heck are these Saudi oil guys and girls wanting to start a golf tour? Like, that just doesn't really make sense. I think there's two reasons why. I think, well, I, I think they're, they're, they're together, but they're separate. The first one is, it's as a, as a competitor to the PGA. You got to understand the thing about the PGA that's different than most other sports that we consume. The players are not under contract, Okay. This is a very important distinction. Players on the PGA are independent contractors. So, you know, we just talked about the NBA playoffs. Draymond Green, Steph Curry, um, LeBron James, Giannis, they're under contract. They get paid whether they play or not, however many games, whatever. Golfers are independent contractors, okay? They show up. If they show up, they better make money because they're paying for their travel, they're paying for their lodging, they're paying for their food. And the event pays them, you know, a prize money if they win. But if not, then they don't get paid. And so Live Golf was like, okay, we're going to guarantee you a lot of money, which we'll get into in a minute, to come be part of our thing. Even if you finish in last place, guarantee a lot of money to come play. Upwards, in some cases, reportedly of $100 million. So in other words, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, who we'll get into in a minute, they, they finish in last place. 
They get $100 million just for showing up for what I believe are these eight events, okay? So that's the first reason why. Is, you know, this is a sport that you can actually build a competitor to the PGA in. The second reason is the political reason that has been all of the talk in sports. It is to essentially, they call it sports wash Saudi Arabia. Sports wash is the equivalent of money laundering, right? If you've all, we've all watched Ozarks, most of us have. If not, I'm not going to have too many spoilers here. But essentially, what is Ozarks? It's money washing. It's taking bad money, money from drug dealers, money from this, money from that, putting it into a legitimate business, and it comes out clean. Oh, now this money came from a hotel instead of from a drug dealer. Well, this is kind of the same concept, only it's cultural and it's political. Rather than um, you know us having all these negative opinions about Saudi Arabia, they put on this, this golf event, Phil Mickelson plays in it, Dustin Johnson plays in it, whatever. We all watch, we say, oh, Saudi Arabia, it doesn't look that bad over there, and you forget about all the political things. And so that's essentially why they did it. Um, and I, before we even get into like some of the, the new details, um, I just, I just want to like let my opinion be known. Like I don't really care. If somebody offered me $100 million to do the, the, the Saudi Arabian version of the Aaron Torres podcast, I would, I, w- I would take it. I'm not going to sit here and lie. I'm not going to sit here and pretend. And I think most of you, if you had to do the, the same job that you're doing now, but you got $100 million to do it in Saudi Arabia or through a Saudi Arabian whatever, you'd probably do the same. And that, I think, is, again, why I think you guys and girls gravitate to a show like this is I just keep it 100% real all the time. I was never outraged that Phil Mickelson was considering this. I was never upset. I was never personally offended. But some people in the media like to play both sides, right? Again, this is why I think you guys know that most people in the sports media are full of crap. Two weeks ago, the NBA announced that they're going to play preseason games in the United Arab Emirates. Nobody says a peep. It's the NBA. We can't criticize the NBA. We all love the NBA. But the second Phil Mickelson wants to get $100 million to change his family's life or to secure his family's future, or Dustin Johnson says very publicly, I'm leaving the PGA to secure my family's future, now they're terrible, evil human beings. I don't, I don't pick and choose degrees of what's okay and what isn't. You get $100 million to do something, I don't blame you. But I also don't blame the NBA for going to the United Arab Emirates to make money. But I'm not going to criticize golf and not, you get the point. So the reason I'm bringing all this up is to say it's, it, it, that is why, that is where the controversy comes in, right? Should these guys be leaving the PGA Tour? Should they be taking Saudi oil money? We all know there's political issues over there that you can look up if you don't know. But should these guys be doing it? And they were basically called evil. And I truly believe that the PGA Tour never thought for one second that any of these guys would actually do it. Nobody noteworthy, nobody good, nobody, good, nobody that matters, nobody that moves the needle. None of these people would leave for the Saudi Golf League, the Lyft Tour. Well, over the last couple weeks, last couple days, what has happened and why am I talking about it today? It's because Phil Mickelson, after weeks of rumors that he was going to be going to this tour, he officially leaves. Sergio Garcia's gone. Um, the big one was on Wednesday night, Dustin Johnson, who finished last year ranked third in the world, resigned from the PGA Tour. He is gone. The latest reports, Bryson DeChambeau, who finished fifth on the tour last year, is gone. Patrick Reed, who won the Masters a few years ago, is reportedly about to leave. Ricky Fowler may leave. And this is where I think the PGA made a huge tactical decision. Indecision. Bad decision. I think they thought there's no way these guys would leave our tour for this unknown thing. And we are going to 
put our foot in the sand and draw a line in the sand, and now what has happened? Several of your most marketable players have left, and now I think that PGA is in a real pickle for a few reasons. First of all, there's just like legitimate uh, legitimate legal issues, right? I don't know all the specifics. I always say if we have lawyers, you can always DM me. I talked to my buddy Dan Lust a little bit about this on uh, on Thursday. Dan will be on my radio show on Saturday night to talk about it. But there are some like legal issues to it because, again, these guys are independent contractors. You can't tell them that you can't play on your tour if they are not under contract. So I think they could legitimately get sued for it. But two, I think now, now that if all of these guys go that, that say they're going to go, now I think you have a situation where you have a true competitor to the PGA. No, the PGA, not, they're not going to lose all their great guys. Rory McIlroy said he's saying Tiger Woods ain't going anywhere. There's a few others. But think about the names that I just said. Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, maybe Ricky Fowler. Even if, it's, even if you take out Ricky Fowler, those, those four, Phil, Sergio, Bryson DeChambeau, and Dustin Johnson are like four of the most recognizable names in golf, probably four out of the top ten. They're all gone. They're all not playing on the tour and that is bad news for the tour. Now, look, we'll all watch the major events, right? We'll all watch the Masters, the U.S. Open, whatever, which, by the way, there's some conflicting reports that I read about. These guys may still be able to play because my understanding is the PGA doesn't run most of the majors. The Masters is run by the like Augusta Council or Augusta National Board or whatever. The U.S. Open is run by the uh, USGA. So there's a possibility that these guys can still play in the four majors but not in the actual tour events. And that's the worst case scenario, right? That would be like Steph Curry, Draymond, Giannis, and Jason Tatum showing up for the playoffs after not playing at all in the regular season. You don't need those guys for the playoffs. You need them for the 82 games in the regular season, and you need those golfers for these, major, for these minor events uh, that, that constitute the PGA Tour. I'll give you an example. I grew up in the Hartford area. I think most of you know that. We have a, an event in Hartford every year. It used to be called the Travelers Championship. I don't even know what it's called anymore whatever. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Bryson DeChambeau was the defending champ. He was the high, the most recognizable player that was coming. And now he's not coming. Are you as excited to go to see a bunch of guys that you never heard? Now, maybe you'll go because it's a professional golf and whatever. But I think if, if, if it, you know, we already know that Tiger's not playing in every event. Roy McIlroy's not playing in every event. Now, you lose Phil, you lose Dustin Johnson, you lose Bryson DeChambeau, you lose Sergio. That's not good. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. And this is the part I had no idea until I started doing research. Most of these events are on U.S. soil. I, thought, I just assumed that whether it was two events, 10 events, 20 events, they were all in Saudi Arabia. No. There's eight events total. Five of them are in the United States. So now, not only is this a competitor, but it's a competitor on your own soil. So you have a competitor where one week you might have a PGA tour. I'm just looking at it right now. The second tour event is two week, three weekends from now, June 30th to July 2nd in Portland, Oregon. If there's an event in Portland, Oregon, and you can't see Phil, Dustin, Bryson DeChambeau, but you can't see him here, where do you think you're going to go? Especially if Tiger's not playing, especially if whatever's not playing. Third event, Late July, New Jersey, fourth event in Boston, fifth event in Chicago, 
final event in Miami. If you want to see your best, the best players, you don't got to watch them on, on some stream. You can watch them on U.S. soil, and if we all only have so much discretionary income. So I can go to some B-plus tour event in my backyard where none of the good players are going to play, or I can go to the live event where Dustin Johnson, Rory, uh, Dustin Johnson, Sergio, Phil, all these guys are playing. It's a no-brainer. The other thing I would say is this. If this thing keeps going, you know what else is going to happen? Somebody's going to broadcast this thing. Somebody's going to broadcast this thing because most of the best players are playing. And so I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be ESPN. I don't know if it's going to be Fox. I don't know if it's going to be Amazon. I don't know if it's going to be Peacock, you know, app. But somebody's going to want to broadcast it if all the best players and people want to watch. And so I would be very worried if I'm the PGA Tour. And here's the last part that you got to consider as well. Remember, this is Saudi oil money. It ain't going anywhere. So wait till you get two, three, four events under your belt. Wait until you wait until Phil and Dustin Johnson and all these guys start telling guys on tour, oh, the money's real. Oh, I got the direct deposit nine figures yesterday. You think other guys aren't going to? Because here's the thing. Now that the first guys took, you know, to use a bad pun, I hope everybody understands. I'm not trying to be political, but you know, now that the guys took all the arrows for the, the you know, Phil and Dustin Johnson took all the arrows, makes it easier for all these other guys to come. So to me, I think the PGA Tour really tactically screwed this up. And I think to get back some of their best players, they're going to have to say, you know what? You can play on both. Um, I just don't see how they can keep going. To me, you know, the, the, the PGA Tour, you can use a million examples of, you know, companies that thought that they cornered the market on something and didn't, and a competitor came in, did it better, got all the best talent, and the, the, the original company went under. I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me, for those that are old enough to remember, y'all remember Blockbuster. Make it a Blockbuster night. We're going to rent out these videos. You're going to watch them. You're going to enjoy them, and you're going to bring them back. Then this company called Netflix came along. They said, instead of going to Blockbuster, we'll just deliver these same videos to your house. And then you mail them back or whatever. I don't even remember how it worked. Obviously, Netflix has evolved since then. But Blockbuster said, they're not a competitor. It's Netflix. Never, nobody's ever even heard of them. Well, one's like a $50 billion company right now, and one's completely out of business. I'm not saying it ever gets that bad for the PGA Tour, but this story is freaking fascinating. And I hope you're following it because this story is so big and so interesting and so political and so financially driven. It has all the best elements of everything that we love in these crazy stories. So enough golf talk. But to me, this is one of the most interesting stories I can remember in a long, long time. And I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out, not just over this next weekend, but over the next couple months, the next year, the next five years. Because like I said, that Saudi oil money ain't going anywhere. And I think the PGA has an official competitor on its hands. That's what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break, come back, finally wrap. Aaron right, Aaron wrong. As you know, I get a lot of stuff right, and I like to brag. But I get a lot of stuff wrong, too. We'll discuss it all. That's coming up next. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for your patience over these last couple weeks. A little bit of a different, quirky schedule. There's just, you know, there's just a lot going on. There was a holiday, travel, business trip, this, that, the other thing that I had to take care of. 
Uh, but thank you guys for your patience. Hope to get back on a normal schedule here for a little while. Uh, we'll be going away a little bit around the 4th of July. But for the most part, we are hitting cruise control into college football season. And I'll say this. You guys can continue, guys and girls, continue to support this show. Continue to share. Continue to do what you do because this show continues to grow. I am amazed at how many of you are sticking with us through the spring and the summer and into the fall, and we got some big things lined up. We got some big guests. We got some big names. Got some big things going on at AT Media. So it's going to be a really fun couple months, and I really do genuinely appreciate everybody's support and everything that you do for this show and for me. And with that said, let's wrap the show as we have the really the last couple Fridays when I've done a Friday show with where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I decided about a month ago, six weeks ago, this is a fun way to wrap the week, and I think it is. I think it's a great way to kind of just have some fun at the end of the week. It's the summer. We don't have to take ourselves too seriously. Uh, and let's do a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the concept. Stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. I do where Aaron was right, right where Aaron was wrong. And the concept is pretty straightforward, right? I come on this show, do radio, social media, and I say a lot of things. And on a lot of stuff, I get stuff right. And when I get stuff right, nobody likes to pat themselves on the shoulders more than I do. But when I get stuff wrong, I got to own it too. I got to take my medicine, which by the way, I do have to take some medicine because the throat's getting sore again. But I got to take my medicine where I get stuff right. So this is a good way to keep myself in check. I tell you the stuff that I get right, but I tell you the stuff that I got wrong as well. Let's get into it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. So this was actually the topic that we opened the show with, but it's the Golden State Warriors. And for years, I have been calling them America's first millennial sports team and a millennial sports team in the sense that, as I said a few minutes ago, they are the team that when everything goes right, they are happy and they're joyful and they're doing backflips and they're throwing up threes and turning around. And then when things go wrong, it's everybody else's fault. And, you know, that's the reputation that millennials have in the workspaces. They want all the fun parts of the job. They don't want to do the hard part. They don't want to grind their way up. That's the Golden State Warriors. Again, when everything's going well, they're happy. They're joyful. They, nobody loves foot basketball more than we do. Then when things go bad, Clay Thompson goes to the podium. Oh, my God, these fans are so rude. Draymond Green's wife. Oh my God, these fans are so rude. You go back to when they lost in 2016 to Cleveland. Steph Curry's throwing his mouth guard. Klay Thompson's walking off the court. Aisha Curry is beefing with fans. This is who they are. This is why I respect the talent. I respect a lot of things about the organization, but they're also just exhausting. When you get beat, just go to the podium and own it. Boston fans said a bad word. Who cares? Draymond Green says worse in the huddle every single game. Deal with it. Get over it. I told you they're the millennial team. They're the millennial team of the ages. They're the first ever millennial team. They love having fun when things go right, but the second things go wrong, unlike Aaron Torres, they don't own it. Clay, Draymond's wife, everybody, calm down. Fans are gonna yell. Deal with it. Where Aaron was wrong, I was wrong on the Boston Celtics. Like, like I wasn't wrong on on you know who they are or what they're about, but I thought once they got to this stage that they would be overwhelmed, that this would be too much for them, that they would not be ready for the challenge of playing the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. Don't know if I ever made an official pick on this show, but I believe on radio I said Warriors in five, which I uh, don't know if you're good at math, but Celtics already won two. That ain't happening. But listen, I'll just say this. Across the board, I am so impressed with this Boston Celtics team. The crazy part about the Boston Celtics, we'll get into Jason Tatum in a minute, 
he hasn't been that good. And it's been other guys that have stepped up. It has been a team effort. I think Marcus Smart has played well. I think uh, Jalen Brown has been better than I thought. Uh, Grant Williams out of nowhere is this three-point sniper. Peyton Pritchard is giving good minutes off the bench. You go on and on and on down the list. Oh, by the way, Robert Williams completely out of nowhere is like the, the biggest X factor. Imagine saying that a year ago, six months ago, that the biggest X factor would be the, the starting center from Texas A&M, the guy that if you remember in the first year that he was in the NBA in the summer league, he slept through like the first workout as a professional, almost got cut before the, the thing even started. That is who the Celtics are. I credit Ime Adoka. He's got them locked in, both ends of the court. Listen, they got by Brooklyn. We just thought Brooklyn was a disjointed mess. We thought they were old. They got by Milwaukee. Well, Chris Middleton's hurt. They get by Miami. Miami, everybody's hurt. Well, the Warriors, as of right now, have everybody. Clay, uh, uh, excuse me. Steph Curry says he's planning on playing Game Four. But I just give this team so much credit. I did not think they would be in this position. I thought they were sort of lucky to be here, given the injuries with Milwaukee and with uh, with Miami. No, they are proving they belong, and they might be the better team in this finals. We'll find out. But I was already wrong on them. Where Aaron was right. So do you remember, what was it, about the middle of of uh, middle of February, Jim Harbaugh goes through the, the hiring process with the Minnesota Vikings. And I said, Jim Harbaugh, what are you doing? You just came off the most successful season of your career. You changed the entire narrative of your entire career. You beat Ohio State. You won the Big Ten. You went to the college football playoff. Everybody loves you. Why are you interviewing for a NFL job? He interviewed early or he was linked early to the Raiders and somebody else, the Bears. Then it got quiet. Then in the middle of February on National Signing Day, he went to go interview with the Minnesota Vikings. I said, what are you doing? And what I said at the time was, I said, he lost all credibility. And I guarantee you, he burned a lot of bridges in that Michigan community, on his coaching staff, whatever. Remember. Shortly thereafter, his offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, leaves for Miami, and on Thursday night, something very interesting happened in recruiting. C.J. Carr, a five-star quarterback from Michigan, committed to Notre Dame. Do you know who C.J. Carr's grandfather is? C.J. Carr's grandfather is Lloyd Carr, the last coach to win a national championship at Michigan who is still alive, still around the program, the grandson of the last great Michigan coach before Jim Harbaugh, just committed to go to Notre Dame. And to me, listen, every kid should make what decision is best for them, but how can the instability in the program not be a part of why this kid is choosing to go elsewhere? Listen, this kid didn't choose to go to Alabama or USC or somewhere far away and just said, I don't want to be in the Midwest. He basically went to a very similar school to Michigan in terms of, uh, you know, academics, in terms of this, in terms of that. This is a spit in the face of Michigan. It's a spit in the face of Jim Harbaugh, and it shows that he doesn't believe in the stability of the program right now. Jim Harbaugh, you had it all going. You didn't have to go flirt with the Minnesota Vikings, and if you go flirt, you better close the deal, right? If you go flirt, you better close the deal. You can't go on National Signing Day to interview for an NFL job. Not think that it's going to piss off recruits, their parents, the assistant coaches who are taking calls all day saying, is the head coach we just committed to, is he going to be here? 
But that's what Jim Harbaugh did. He thought it wasn't going to impact him. And I'm not saying that that's the only reason why C.J. Carr committed to Notre Dame. But you have a five-star whose grandfather coached at the school who doesn't trust you enough. That was a major screw-up by Jim Harbaugh. I said it at the time. I stood by it, and I was dead right. Where Aaron was wrong. Okay, so I want to go back to the NBA for just half a second. Jason Tatum's kind of been a mess in these NBA finals, right? I mean, listen, he's not playing badly. He's averaging 22 points per game. But, you know, he's been a little bit inconsistent, 32% from the field. And did you see this quote? So first of all, where Aaron was wrong was, I thought he was ready to be the next great superstar in this league. Did you hear what he said after game two? I wish I had a producer that we could pull the audio and all this and all that. But he, he essentially brought up something about, you guys in the media labeled me a superstar. I don't know who put that in your mouth. I don't know how that narrative started, but that's not fair. And when I heard that, I was like, this guy isn't ready to be a superstar. Now, in his defense, he's, he's young. He's a baby. He's 24 years old. But Kobe Bryant was taking the biggest shot of his career, you know, the biggest shot of the season at 19 years old, 20 years old, 21 years old. He's winning a playoff series. And so when I look at Jason Tatum, I just can't believe. I thought this guy was ready. I thought he was next. I've been hyping him up since he was at Duke. He goes to the podium after game two saying, why did you guys label me a superstar? What? Is that something Michael Jordan would ever say? Kevin Durant would ever say? Uh, Kobe Bryant would ever say? Even LeBron. If LeBron James said that, that would be the biggest story in sports for like a month. And Jason Tatum said it. So I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying he's overrated. But I thought he was ready to put this organization on his back and lead him to a championship. I still believe he can get there. But man, you go to the podium and you say, who labeled me a superstar? Kobe was his idol. He's wearing the, the, the elbow pad with the 24 on it. Kobe Bryant would never say that. Jason Tatum apparently is not ready to be a star. Where Aaron was right. So I saw an interesting tweet, um, and it came from somebody named Danny Neckel. I don't know who that is, but here is what he wrote about, this was on, I guess it would have been Wednesday, Tuesday, the most watched basketball games of the year so far. Number one, Kansas versus North Carolina in the national championship. Number two, North Carolina versus Duke in the final four. Number three, North Carolina versus St. Peter's in the Elite Eight. Number four, game two of the NBA Finals. Number five, game one of the NBA Finals. So going into game three, we don't have numbers for game three, but of the 10 biggest games in, of, uh, in the 10 biggest basketball games of the year, eight were college, two were NBA, two of the college games featured St. Peter's. So why do I bring it up? It is because every single year, I, tr- I, I you know, The other media is my competition. I shouldn't be giving them free advice, but I always say college sports remains the most criminally undercovered entity going. Every year during college football, you have random games with six, seven, eight, nine million viewers. NBA regular season games get 800,000, get a million viewers. And every single year, the media makes the same mistake. What I am telling you is the reason for the success of this podcast, the reason for the success of so many others across my space, 
you guys and girls love college sports. And every single year, it's undercovered. It's underreported. You watch these mainstream TV shows. I don't even think Stephen A. Smith talks the uh, the NCAA tournament. It's like, dude, for three weeks, it's all anybody cares about. I'm not saying you got to talk uh, Duke Clemson on a Tuesday in a, you know in in January, but in the NCAA tournament, that's all anybody cares about. Well, guess what? Eight out of the top ten highest rated basketball games this season. We're in the NCAA tournament. It shows beyond a reasonable doubt that you guys and girls love college sports and you love college basketball during that NCAA tournament. I've never understood why the mainstream shows don't do a better job of covering college sports. Where Aaron was wrong. How about my buddy John Shire, right? If you're a longtime listener to this show, it was actually like literally right around a year ago that Coach K announced his retirement. And at the time I said, John Shire, I'm not really sold on John Shire. And the reason was, and if you remember, I said it at the time, it wasn't as though he was the longtime assistant. It wasn't as though he had the crazy long NBA career like Kevin Ollie at UConn, Hubert Davis at North Carolina. There was really nothing that made John Shire stand out as a candidate other than he, that he was the next guy up. He was the next guy in line. He was the next lead assistant coach. And there had been 10 other lead assistant coaches that had left for other jobs that seemingly would have been more qualified if they had stayed at Duke. Jeff Capel, Steve Wojciechowski, Chris Collins, I can't even remember all of them now, Quinn Snyder, ironically enough. And I said, I'm not saying John John Shire doesn't deserve the job, but there is nothing about him that makes me scream that he's the guy to take Duke to the next level, or, or keep Duke at the highest level, I should say. Well, apparently, Coach K knows more about basketball than I do. Listen, I'll say a couple things about John Shire. First of all, um, I am so impressed with what this guy did. And we talked about it on Wednesday show. There's no guarantee that he's a good coach and all this stuff may be for nothing. But he signed the number one recruiting class in 2022, four of the top 13 players. He signed the number one recruiting, the, the 2023 recruiting class, the kids that are juniors in high school about to be seniors. Duke already has five commitments. They have five commitments. Their class is done. And then this week, he went ahead and hired that executive from Nike to be the general manager of Duke basketball to deal with NIL and contracts. That is scary for everybody else in college basketball because the person who ran Nike grassroots basketball, the boss of all the AAU programs, now is working directly with Duke basketball. As I told you the other day, good luck trying to recruit good high school players from Nike AAU programs when you're recruiting against Duke, if Duke wants him, Duke's getting him, where Aaron was right. So Lincoln Riley did an interview this week, and he was asked about the whole narrative that he was afraid of the SEC, uh, and that was why he left Oklahoma for USC. Now, I believe that that was a part of it. I believe that if Oklahoma was still in the Big 12, Lincoln Riley would still be at Oklahoma, if they were not going to the SEC at all. But here is what he said about the narrative. He said, I heard the whole SEC narrative. To me, the SEC has nothing to do with it. It's all about the program that you're at and the position you think you can get to. I've walked into four playoffs, and I've never had better than maybe the third best roster of the four teams, Lincoln Riley told CBS's Dennis Dodd. Every other year, we were 4-4. Four four. We had really good rosters, but they weren't the same. I can't imagine that there could be a better setting than we could build a roster in than we are right here at USC. And so where Aaron was right was this. 
when people, when all you SEC fans, and I love you SEC fans, I have a career because of you SEC fans. When all you SEC fans said, oh, he's afraid of the SEC. I didn't say, I said he's not afraid of the SEC. But if there's a path of least resistance to compete for national championships every year, then he's going to take it and he should take it. Uh, you know, if, if your boss says, hey, if you can get your work in, done in 20 hours instead of 40 hours, you can leave the office on Wednesday and you can get it done in 20 hours, are you going to stay for 40 hours? No. You're going to take the path of least resistance. If you can get the same result with a different path, you're going to take that path if the path is easier. And so I said from the beginning, I said, this makes perfect sense. He doesn't want to compete in the SEC, but he's not afraid of the SEC, but there's an easier, better path that's going to put him more consistently in. Then you get in a few times, then you win a game. We'll see if the playoff expands or not, but ultimately you're going to put yourself in a position every year to compete, and eventually you're going to break through and win one. I said from the beginning, the whole he's afraid of the SEC is nonsense. There is something called a path of least resistance. That's where he's taking it. Finally, where Aaron was right. So listen, everybody knows I'm a big college baseball guy. Had Phil Elson on the other day. What an interview that was. If you didn't listen to it, go back. But I told you guys for months, if you follow me on Twitter, I said, UConn baseball, they're for real. When the bracket came out on Memorial Day, they were a three seed in the College Park region. And what did I tell you? UConn's winning this regional. What happens? Monday night in College Park, against Maryland, UConn had already beaten Maryland once, and oh, by the way, probably should have beat them a second time, lost in extras. UConn goes into College Park and gets a victory. They are now headed to the Super Regionals this weekend against Stanford. I told you this team's legit. Listen, UConn, it's an everything school, right? Bruce Pearl said it when Auburn beat Kentucky earlier this year. He goes, we're not a football school. We're an everything school. If we compete in it, we compete to win at the highest level. We compete for championships. It's the same with Florida. It's the same with USC. It's the same with Arkansas. It's the same with Kentucky. It's the same with UConn. When we put on our big boy pants or big girl pants when we step on the basketball court, we expect to win. You know, UConn's won national championships in men's soccer, field hockey, men's basketball, women's basketball. Never forget, football for a moment in time was in a power conference, went to a major bowl game. When UConn puts on the pants, they expect to win at the highest level. Congrats to UConn going to the Super Regionals. They're playing Stanford this weekend. I will be into the Super Regionals. By the way, my pre-NCA tournament picks for the NCAA, for the national championship were Tennessee over Oregon State. Both teams still alive. I also said UConn was going to make it to Omaha. We'll see how that goes. All right. Long episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, but a fun one, and I still got a little bit of a voice. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Enjoy the college baseball this weekend. I'll be back on Monday. We'll have something to talk about. I don't know what. We'll figure it out, though. So with that said, have a good weekend. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I'll be back on Monday. I appreciate your guys and girls' support. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.